Turn with me to Colossians. And I, le- I think I left my Bible in Indianapolis, and so please pardon the green-studded <laughs> Bible this morning. It is my wife's. Um, but I guess there's nothing wrong with a studded Bible, if that's what you're into. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 is where we're going to go. Um, like I said, this morning is uh, different, a little different than our typical gathering. Ever since the beginning of uh, our community, our church, we have never desired to be a church that, that uh, uh, takes it easy, that is, uh, embraces what's comfortable. Uh, a church that just comes to a building and sings some songs and does our stuff that we do and then goes back to our homes and lives our lives like we do. We've never like desired to be a, a, a church that just embraces what's comfortable, uh, that, that, uh, that looks away from the pain because the pain's too hard to look at. And when we look at pain, it requires something of us. It's, it's, it's sacrificial to, to actually look at pain. That's why it's easy to remove ourselves. That's why it's easy to run to the suburbs. That's why it's easy to, uh, to, to live in, in nice little communities with everybody that, that thinks and looks like us and, and to not have to really look at, at the pain and the suffering of the world around us, to not look at uh, the, the news of what's happening in, in other countries and the suffering and, and to not... Uh, look at Jessica's book about North Korea because when you, when you look at pain and when you look at suffering, it requires something of you. But we have never wanted to be a church that, that intentionally looks away and uh, forgets that there's actually people that are really hurting and weeping. Um, we have desired to be a church that uh, embraces the community around us that uh, that goes to the places where there are, is weeping, where there is is hurting, where there are tears, and along with that, we've also, ever since the beginning, believed in uh, the importance of prayer. Early on, when there was like five of us, we realized that we rarely pray together and that we're doing a lot in our own power. And so we repented of that, and we said we will rely completely on prayer, that it will be the rock and the foundation of everything that we do, so we won't do anything in the community without first praying. Uh, we believe that um, prayer changes things. It's, I've told you guys this before, before uh, as I was just considering myself to move into Baltimore and, and to begin loving a, uh, a city, my grandmother wrote on a napkin, prayer changes things. Um, and that formed the early days of, of how I thought of ministry. Um, and that's formed us. And so we believe that, uh, that prayer truly uh, changes things and that we can fight against the forces of darkness all around us through prayer. And so one of the things then that we've done since the beginning is every six months, we, uh, we walked to the most recent uh, homicide sites in our uh, neighborhood, within walking distance of where we live and where we worship. 
And we, we fight against the violence through, through prayer. Um, recognizing then that we are not called to just sit on our hands, but we are called to action. And so we begin with prayer, and that's always pushing us forward and always challenging us to think new thoughts and dream new dreams and ask what is, does it look like to see the, the kingdom of God and Baltimore reconciled. Um, and this is rooted not in uh, our desire to do something unique or to be a different kind of church or um, to do something that's like, oh, that's so nice. Like, what, what, a, what a nice thing you guys are doing. Maybe I'll come sometime. That's not our desire. Our desire is deeply rooted in our theology. What we believe about Jesus, what we believe about sin, what we believe about redemption and forgiveness and new life. Um, and so what I want to do this morning, before we go out uh, together, is I want to remind us of our theology. And if, if that's kind of a big word, it simply means our study or our understanding of this infinite God. Knowing that we will never take this infinite God and put him into a box and completely define him, but we will study everything that we can study and learn as much as we can learn about God. And what we have learned about God is rooted right here in the scriptures. And that's what drives us this morning. That's what drives us seven days a week. And that's what will drive us years into the future as a church, as we grow and as we uh, embrace the, uh, the city. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. I want to just kind of briefly go through this, this poem. I'm not going to give you like a long uh, sermon today um, like I typically do. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a, uh, is a poem. Um, if I uh, wasn't in Indianapolis this week and I had more time to think, I would have asked Keziah to like really read it, like get, you know, turn it into like this spoken word and slam it, you know. But um, I'm not going to throw that on her right now, so I will slam it myself. So if you, uh, if you need a Bible, by the way, blue Bible, um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, Jen can get you a Bible, a couple up front, um, any in the back. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, if you have a blue Bible and you're there, um, maybe you could read out the, yell out the page number when you find it uh, for anybody else that is looking. Colossians chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 15, we're going to go through verse 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things on earth were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This, this would have been an extremely dangerous poem to possess during the time this book, Colossians, was written. Uh, early 60s, not 1960s, 60 AD. Uh, during the time of this writing, 
as Paul is including this poem, which is probably widely circulated underground among the church, he's including it, including it in this letter to the people in Colossae. And during this time, Nero is the emperor in Rome. Now, if we know anything about Nero, or if you remember back in the school or watching the History Channel, Nero and Christians weren't like this, right? Nero is, um, has made history for the way that he treated the Christians. He uh, would, would kill them through, through ter uh, tying them down and allowing dogs to gnaw on them until they were dead. Um, he would take Christians and, he, and nail them to crosses and crucify them like their follower or like the person they're following was crucified. He would, uh, in the evenings, throw dinner parties and use their bodies as torches to light his dinner parties. Uh, and here is a extremely dangerous poem that's being circulated, which, by the way, little side note, the church has always uh, valued uh, a dangerous life, not taking it, play, playing it comfortable, not, not getting in our little holy huddles and saying we're good to go. We've never been about that as a church. And so they're, they're passing this poem around. So, we, so I want to kind of dive into it a little bit. We see three things um, just off the top, off the bat here. One, Jesus is greater than the ruling empire. Number two, Jesus has defeated death. And number three, Jesus is leading us to a new world. Um, look at verse 15 and 16 and 17 again with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you were to walk around Rome during this time, 60s, you would, you would see Caesar's image plastered everywhere. Everywhere you look is Caesar's image. Nero's image, the emperor. On the coins, Nero's image. Everywhere you look is Nero's image. And Caesar at this time was considered divine. So as you would walk around the empire of, or the city of Rome, and you're seeing the image of Nero, you're seeing in their understanding the very image of God. Um, this is saying that Nero is not the image of God. That in fact, there is a greater image. And, and, and the image that you believe to be the image of God is in fact not the image of God. Verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. Even the thrones, even the thrones, the powers. He's saying Jesus is the image of God, not Caesar. And by the way, he's created the throne that Caesar sits on. He's the one that's even allowed Caesar, Nero, to come into power. He is greater than the ruling empire. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. He is before everything, and yes, he is before Caesar. Now, um, in case you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the trail of tears, walking around the neighborhood praying? 
who is our, who or what is our ruling authority, our ruling power today? And I don't think it's City Hall. I don't think it's DC. I don't think it's the United Nations. I don't think it's China. What, what are the images that drive us? What are the images? We don't see Caesar, we see logos, right? We're driving down the road, and the images that compel us, the images that we're drawn to worship, we want more stuff. Our empire that we live in today is none other than the empire of materialism, greed, stuff. We worship stuff. We give up everything to have more of those things. The God that we want is right there and we will sacrifice in order to get it. We, uh, in business, we worship the bottom line. We, we are thrilled when we have a boom in our market share in everyday life. We are all about our TVs and our clothes and the house that we live in or where we live. We want stuff. That is what drives our society. That's what drives our culture. And it might be what drives you. Stuff. And the images of this God is everywhere, are everywhere, all around us. And we will do whatever it takes to get what we want. In, 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 in business, we call this uh, cutthroat, slick, uh, undermining business practices, or we might call it good business. Uh, there's actually a businessman who says Jesus could never do good business. You can't do good business, quote unquote. The way the culture defines it, the way the, way the market demands it. You can't do that if you're really going to follow the way of Jesus. Not like we call it good business today. You guys tracking with me? On the streets, we don't call them businessmen, we call them thugs. But what's driving us is the same God. It's the God of materialism, the God of stuff, the God of wanting more. The God of wanting what we didn't work for, the God of wanting what we should ha shouldn't have. We will walk over anybody to get it. We will uh, disadvantage the community uh, around us, the people around us to get what we want. And what this all resorts to then is violence. It's violence from the slick, conniving businessmen who are walking over the poor, who are shipping factories to places where they can use slave trade, all the way down to the thug on the street playing the game. It's all the same. And it's violence that we use to get what we want, to worship the God that we worship. And then what we begin to realize is that really at the core, material things, materialism in and of itself isn't actually our God. That's not actually our empire. What's our God really is ourselves. We have taken Jesus 
off of the God seat and we have placed ourselves there. And so now what we do is we offer ourselves sacrifices and alms and offerings, right? We offer ourselves what our God demands, what our God needs, and we're worshiping ourselves. And we will, because we want to worship this God, we will tis disadvantage of everyone else because there's a God greater than everyone else, and that is ourselves. And at the core of that, what we realize is that our ruling empire is sin. It's brokenness. Sin in and of itself is placing ourselves in the seat where only Jesus belongs, in the God throne. And worshiping ourselves, becoming our own savior. And what we see around us then is violence from the top to the bottom. Because we have to sacrifice, we have to worship the God that is in that seat, which is right here. Uh, verse 18. And he is the head of the body. Speaking of Jesus now, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. What is the worst thing that the, that the Roman Empire could do to the Christians? What's the worst thing they could do? Somebody. Kill them. Kill them. That's the worst they could do. What is the worst thing that our empire of materialism, individualism, ourselves, on down to sin at the core of that? What is the worst thing that our empire of sin can do to us? Kill us. That's the worst thing. There is nothing more that the, that the, that the empire of sin can do uh, than to kill us. Now, if it was, was not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then the empire would win. If it was not for the resurrection of Christ, if Jesus didn't bodily, physically rise from the dead, then we lose. The empire can take our life. Sin, greed can take our life. Violence can take our life. We lose if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. This is what the word here used in verse 18 is firstborn. Another way to translate that, or some of your translations will say first fruits. And during harvest time in the ancient world, they would uh, uh, take the first fruits, their, their first crops, and they would gather them together and they would be able to look at them. And what they would do with the first fruits is uh, be able to determine what the, the remainder of the harvest is, is going to be like. So if you had healthy, uh, lush, rich first fruits, then you know that you're in for a good harvest. You're going to have a great, great harvest. If your first fruits are puny and struggling, then you are in trouble. Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. He is the most illustrious of all 
who died and who, who will be raised again. He is the first to die and to be raised again for etern- to, to eternal life. He is the head over everyone who will be raised again. And Jesus is our first fruits, meaning when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, we have assurance and confidence that there will be a great harvest. That our harvest is good. Our first fruits are great. Proof that death is not the end. The resurrection then stands as a call to a new world. So what we, could, we could put it like this. Jesus is greater than the ruling empire because Jesus has defeated death. And then the next slide, therefore, Jesus is leading us to a new world. Look at the next verse, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the light at the end of the tunnel, which is starting to burst forth and consume us. This is this, this call, this, this uh, beckoning, this, this pulling of a new world that is to come. To be able to look around and say, wow, we have violence all around us. And this, sometimes we're like, this world sucks. But Jesus is leading us to a new world. Um, if if uh, Jesus did not rise from the dead, and if this world was all that we knew, Like, we look around and we're like, this is it. This is it. This is all we've got. Then we would have reason for despair. Wouldn't we? I mean, we're all getting older, right? And every second you get older, you're closer to your your own death. Right? I mean, basically, being alive means you're dying. And if, if this world was all we knew, if we didn't have this light at the end of the tunnel, which now in Colossians is being sort of like, it's bursting forth, and it's, it's this ominous but beautiful like reality of something coming. If we didn't have that, then we would have reason for despair. But I want you to turn, um, or just listen to me as I read it, in Revelation 21, it's the last book of the Bible. Um, it paints us this picture of what Paul is talking about in Colossians. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
our theology of what's to come shapes how we act in the world that is. Do you get that? Our understanding of the revelation, the inspired revelation that's been given to us from God through his people, which shapes our understanding of what's to come, therefore it, it, it shapes the way that we live our lives today. Our, even our emotions, how we think, how we feel about things, how we look at, at uh, sin and darkness and despair and sadness. Again, if the world uh, as we know it is all there was and we did not have this beautiful light bursting forth which is about to consume us and that's our hope of what's to come then we would have reason for despair but Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead therefore he is greater than our ruling authority. He has defeated death and he is leading us to a new reality, a new world where tears are wiped away and where there is no more sadness and no more sickness and no more pain and no more homicides, no more greed, no more slick businessmen taking advantage of the poor and, and no thugs wanting what you have and killing you to get it. There's no more of that. All of that has been done away with. Sin has completely been done away with. And we have life forever and ever and ever with Jesus Christ. Is anybody like, can I get an amen? <laughs> I was having lunch with a, a friend of mine a couple years ago. And she's a really good friend of mine, an older lady, older than me, um, in her, uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't even like guess her age, in case she listens to the podcast. Um, <clears throat> I think she's in her 20s. I mean, just, just by looking at her. And, and she's, all, so she's one of my, she's a good friend of mine, and she's also one of my biggest like critics and like skeptics, you know, like, she's an agnostic. Um, which basically means, I don't know if there's a God, can't know, won't know, whatever. Um, probably leaning toward atheists, I would, I would think. And so we're uh, sitting down chatting one time, and um, she's really, at this moment, she's really broken about the pain and the sickness and the death in the wor this world around us. Uh, children that are just innocent and their lives are taken for one reason or another or they're just suffering everywhere, everywhere we look and um, near, she was nearly drawn to tears as she's just talking about it and just angry about it and broken and sad and she's, she's she, so much despair in her life because this is it, this is it for her you know, this is, this is the best we've got and uh, so, and, and then her, she kind of told me her problem, which is God cannot be both all-loving and all-powerful. It's impossible. He, he's either all-loving, 
he loves us, but he's not all powerful. Or God is all powerful, but he's not all loving. And so I'm like kind of trying to go through some scriptures and talk through some ideas, trying to reconcile these two, how God is both all loving and all powerful in a world of suffering. And so I'm, I'm doing my best to try to like give her a, a, an answer here because I believe God is all loving. And I believe he is all powerful. Um, and it's like nothing is clicking with her. Nothing. And she's just like, and I'm thinking, man, maybe she's right. And, uh, and she's like, and one of the things I said was like, you know, you're, you're, when you're suffering and you're crying, it's like, it's like God is there with you and he's like wrapping his arms around you. And she was like, how dare you say that? Because if God can do something about my situation, I don't want him to weep for me. I don't want him to wrap his arms around me. I want him to change my situation. And I was like, that's true. And then I turned to Revelation 20. I was like, well, here, this is kind of like where I think where I'm rooted. This is what I'm looking forward to. And I read Revelation 20. And then I talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The literal, bodily, physical resurrection of a, of a Messiah who was put to death and rose again three days later. And she looked at me and she was like, do you, do you really believe that? And her face completely changed. Just like it, her facial features became like soft and like, she said, do you really believe that? And I was like, I do. She's like, you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You really believe that? And I said, I do. And then she said this. Facial features completely changed. She said, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then that changes everything. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then I agree. That changes everything. And that's where we ended. It's like, wow. If Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He is supreme over all, over all the powers, over every drug lord that we think runs the drug trade around pedestal gardens. Jesus is Lord over that. They have no authority. He is supreme over all. And he has conquered all through his resurrection and he's leading us to a new world. This is the theology that drives us now to go out into the world and to live as people of the resurrection, as people of the coming kingdom of God, which will be reconciled with the city of Baltimore. Or vice versa, the city of Baltimore will be reconciled with the kingdom of God. Got to get my language straight there. And we, and we live as people of that kingdom, as citizens of that kingdom, not this kingdom. And so we go and we pray, and we're not praying in despair, but we're praying in victory that this is not the end. And we are claiming the, the, the power that is God's in the city of Baltimore, right here around us. I need another amen. amen. Come on.
Um, what we're going to be doing today is going to two different sites. Now, we typically walk to five or six sites. This time around we have two, which is something to celebrate. And there are two too many at the same time. And we will continue to fight until there is no, no bit of violence left in the city of Baltimore and in this neighborhood right around us. Um, one of the sites we're going to is a, a young man named Anton, uh, who uh, I wasn't able to get a hold of his family, don't know a whole lot surrounding uh, the shooting. Um, but I do know it's another life, another young man's life who's been taken. Um, the second site we're going to is a, another young guy named Christopher Samuel. Uh, I believe he was 24 years old. Um, we, we have uh, the privilege of having Christopher's family with us today, his wife, Donietta, um, sister-in-law. Uh, his child, Nevaeh, is in Sprouts right now. Um, this, his, his death hits home with, for me as um, my daughter and his daughter were, are, are, were class, classmates last year and are still in the same school this year, a couple classes down from each other. Um, just around the corner on, at Druid Hill at Head Start. Um, Donietta, could you come forward? <laughs> I just want, I want to just show you the love of the garden this morning. And uh, maybe I should even clarify the love of God through the garden this morning. Um, we, uh, as a church, uh, want to know that we are standing by you, that we're with you, um, that we are praying for you. We've got you some flowers. Thank you. And... Uh, there's a little gift card in there as well, just as a way to say that we love you. Um, and also, one of the, one of the things that um, we've, the leadership and I have been talking about, is this. Um, well, first of all, when when I when I heard about Christopher's death and I read about it and saw the little news clip and everything, one thing that sh that uh, tore me up was, a f I, I think it was a statement that you made saying that he was a, he just wanted to be a good dad and provide for his family. And I was like, oh my gosh, Baltimore needs more dads like that. You know, like we need good dads who want to provide for their families and stand by them and not leave. And we need that. And it just tore me up. And, and then I, I was thinking like, wow, like, and I, th I think of my, my own dad and, and what he had been able to do for me over over my life, and one of the things that he could do was he could send me to college, and he paid paid my way for college. And I was just thinking, you know, what if, what if we could help in some way? So what we, what we've decided to do as a church is we want to set up a college fund for Nevaeh, and we're beginning it with one thousand dollars. We're going to put in it, and we've got friends and networks all over the country, and we are going to promote the heck out of this college fund, and we want to raise enough money to send Nevaeh to college. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
so much. Well, we, we are here for you. It's, you know, it's, it's a very small way to say that we love you and we want to stand by you. Not, not for this morning as we walk and as we pray, not just today, not this week. We want to stand by you for the next 18 years. We want to walk with you. We want to walk with Nevea and uh, be, be a community for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really, I really do uh, appreciate it. I wasn't even expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can we go pray? Are we ready? Let's do it.